Last week, you know, I showed a video clip at the end of the, the sermon, and my boys were a big fan of that. They were like, could you actually this time, like, have the whole thing be a movie? I'm like, geez, okay, all right. So I decided to bless the children among us, and maybe you too, and start with a video clip this week. Now, this video clip, it's a, uh, it's a cartoon, okay? We're thinking, where's he going with this? It's, it's actually a parable. You know what a parable is? It's a story that's meant to teach you about something else. And it's actually a little parable that's taken from a book that a Christian speaker, author, pastor named Francis Chan wrote. He wrote a little children's book called Big Red Tractor. And now we're going to watch the clip, it's a short clip, three minutes, and it's basically a summary of this book. Now, Kids, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention, and I'm going to ask some questions after it about what is he trying to teach us. Now, let me give you a hint that's going to really help with this clip. The big red tractor is the church, okay? So let's watch the clip. We'll need somebody to get the, oh, you got the lights back there, okay. Let's watch the clip, and we'll talk about it just a second. Once upon a time, in a little field, in a happy little village, lived a big red tractor. Every morning during plowing season, the village people, no, not those village people, would come out and start the red tractor. Everyone loved the tractor and the powerful noises it would make. They would cheer for the big red tractor because he would help them through plowing season. The people worked together to move the tractor. Half of the villagers would push from behind, while the other half would pull. They had been doing it this way for many generations. Some days they moved the tractor 10 feet. Some days they moved it 20. They did this for three whole months every year. Because of their hard work, the villagers always managed to plow the field, just in time to plant, and just before the rainy season. The rains would come to water the field. Then the sun would come out to make the crops grow. And then the people would come out and harvest all the new crops. It was just enough food to feed the entire village. One day, Farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic. To his surprise, he found an old book tucked beneath his great-grandpa's belongings. It was the owner's manual to the big red tractor. This book told about how the tractor was made and all the great things it could do. Farmer Dave studied the book all night. He was shocked by what he was reading. According to the book, if the big red tractor was running properly, it could plow the whole field in just one day. Early the next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. But nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor can move on its own, some said. One lady said, it sounds like you're reading a fairy tale. The people laughed at him. This made Farmer Dave very sad. This didn't stop Farmer Dave from believing what he read. Every night, while the other villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave spent time repairing the big red tractor. One night, Farmer Dave fixed the tractor completely. He jumped on the tractor and had so much fun driving it, he ended up plowing the whole field in one night. The next morning, the villagers woke up and were in shock. 
The whole field had been plowed. It's a miracle, one man said. Maybe aliens came down, said an old woman. No, look over there, a little boy shouted. It was Farmer Dave sleeping on the tractor. It was then that people shouted, He was right! The tractor book is true! The villagers ended up plowing many fields that year and harvesting way more food than they could ever eat. They had so many leftover boxes of food that they began taking the boxes to other villages where food was scarce. The big red tractor and his little village soon became famous throughout the land. They became known as the most generous and life-giving people in the whole wide world. Okay, guys, a couple questions. Young people, you've got to speak up here. So what was wrong with how they were using the tractor? It's not a rhetorical question. They thought the tractor was unable to move on its own, didn't they? So what were they trying to do, kids? They were trying to do it in their own strength. They didn't realize that this tractor had all of this power and all of this strength and all of this ability. They didn't understand how it worked, so they thought that they had to push the tractor. The whole time they were using it, in the wrong way. They didn't understand the ability and the power that it had within itself. So if you go look up that clip on YouTube right after it, Francis Chan does a little two-minute explanation about here's what this means. And you know, anytime the author writes something, they get to interpret what this really means. And here's what he says. You know, as I look at the church today, I, I see that the church is doing all right for itself. You know, it's able to take care of itself. But so much of what I see in the church and our culture today is a deep reliance upon human effort. In other words, we think that the way to make the church go, the way to make the church do all that it's called to do is literally up to us in our strength. And so often... The church tends to depend upon things like having a good gifted speaker and having good music and having, you know, the dancers and all of the stuff to go along to have uh, the beautiful, nice facilities that are comfortable for people to go to and having the good uh, organizers and planners to pull it all together. And if you have all those things and you do it right, then you're, you're able to make the church successful. And it's, it tends to often work. He said, but whenever I look at Scripture, I see something very different. I see that the church had a power that wasn't rooted in human effort. It wasn't rooted in the leaders. Rather, it was a powerful movement of the Holy Spirit that was moving the church out supernaturally in mission. That it was doing things that were beyond the ability of the people that were leading it. In fact, they were often weak. They, they didn't have the power to pull all of these things off. He says, as I look at the church in the New Testament, I see something that looks unstoppable. And yet, as I look at the church in our culture today, it so often seems so stoppable. 
that if you take away the gifted speakers and you take away the good music and you take away the nice facilities, well, it just falls apart and dies. What has happened? He says we have forgotten the place and the power of the Holy Spirit in his work to energize the church. So the first time I saw this, Mark Settles in our community group had been in charge. I put him in charge that week. I said, all right, you're leading our community group this week. And he showed up with this video here. And I thought we were going to have a nice little lesson here. And I watched that video, and I was cut to the heart. I was just led to repentance. I felt like I needed to just get down on my face and repent because I was struck because what is being described here is something that so often is true of my heart. So often I tend to believe that if anything is going to happen in the church, it's going to happen as a result of something that I do or something that we do together in our own strength, that if we do it just the right way and if we put in the right amount of work and the right amount of effort, then it's all going to work. In fact, I think that for many of us, that's the way we think of the Christian life. It's essentially something that we do in our strength. And so if we can just try a little harder and get our act together and get more determined, then then maybe we're going to get over that hump and we're going to do it right and it's going to work in the right way. There's probably others of us that, that might struggle in a similar way, but maybe on the other end of the spectrum. Our struggle might be on more of the end of, well, we're not all that worried about what it does. In fact, for many of us, sometimes it's hard just to get to church. It's hard just to take a couple out of hours out of your week to think about God and about His kingdom. And I imagine that for many of us, we feel guilty about that. And we think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it together and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. But then sometimes it's a really nice day outside and it's been a long week. And it's just easy to kind of sit it out. I think the reality for all of us is that we're prone to try to do the Christian life in our own strength. Through our own resources. But here's a part of what we see in our passage. Is Jesus is here at the end of the book of John. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to leave this world and go to the Father. He's encouraging his discouraged and afraid disciples. And he's saying, listen, I've got good news. I'm going to go away, but I am going to send you Holy Spirit. And that's better. And he's going to empower you to do everything that I've called you to do. And he will will be my very own presence with you. It's incredible hope. Here's what we see in the passage. The Holy Spirit is how we experience Jesus personally. And the Holy Spirit is what empowers and energizes the Christian life. That's what we'll see in our passage. So let's look together. Let's jump in. Here we are. In John chapter 14, look with me at the passage here, beginning at verse 15, as Holly read a few moments ago. And as we said, Jesus is comforting his disciples. He's about to leave. And here's what he says in verse uh, 16. As he leaves, as he goes away, I will ask the Father and he will give you, in my translation, in some translations it says counselor, In the Pew Bible translation, it says advocate. Some of your translations might say helper. The word there is a Greek word that's kind of hard to translate into English. It's actually called paraclete. 
And it's got all these different senses of it, and there's not really a good English that captures everything that's involved in that. But the advocate is not a bad word for it. Yes, he helps us. Yes, he, he counsels us. But often as we think of counselor, we think of like, you know, therapist, someone who's going to personally encourage us. But it has more of the sense of a counselor in a legal sense, like an advocate. Now, that's important because one of the things that Jesus has been saying to his disciples is I'm leaving and now you're going to be my witnesses in the world. And the reality about the world is that the world is going to hate you just like it hated me. But your mission in the world, your calling in the world is to bear witness to me. So I'm going to send you an advocate that as you bear witness in the world, he is going to powerfully bear witness through you. So that's a tremendous comfort, is it not? As we think about our mission to be witnesses of Jesus in the world, the Holy Spirit is the advocate that come, comes and bears witness through our words. Sometimes as we think about sharing the message of the gospel or talking about Jesus with someone, we, we want to shrink back and we're afraid to do so because we think, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I, I'm not very good at speaking. I'm I don't know that I would argue well. They might shut me down really easily, and so we shrink back. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit is our advocate, that is, as we begin to speak in his name, that he actually speaks through us. He advocates, he bears witness through our witness. So that's a tremendous encouragement in mission. There's a couple of other things that he stresses about the work of the Holy Spirit, his ministry in our life. Right there in verse 17, very next verse, Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. He uses that same term a number of times throughout the passage and beyond. That he, the Holy Spirit, is called the spirit of truth. Now, one thing to back up and say is that one of the realities, and this is a pretty basic teaching of the scriptures, is that as the scriptures reveal who God is... They reveal that God is one. There's only one God. There's not multiple gods. There's not three gods. There's one God. But this one God has existed for all of eternity in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are all equal in power and glory. And for all of eternity, they have existed in this relationship of love where they're constantly giving and receiving love and honor from one another. One of the realities of that truth is that God has always been community, even within his own person and being. One of the things that establishes the fact that we are called to live in community, that we're not called to be alone, but rather in community with one another. It's rooted in who God is. So as we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. He is God. In fact, in seminary, one of my seminary professors would never let us say thee in front of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's very often and easy to say the Holy Spirit as we're talking about Holy Spirit. And he'd catch us and he would like, you don't say that about people. I don't say the Ashley whenever I'm talking about my wife. Right? I say Ashley because she is a person. Well, he said the Holy Spirit is a person. So you have to say Holy Spirit when you're talking about the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, because he is a person. He is God. He is equal in power and glory with the Father. 
But here he calls him the spirit of truth. And as we see, even in this passage, even in the next, even in chapter 15, he begins to flesh this out some, the spirit of truth. Look in verse 26, where he says this, chapter 14, verse 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. So there, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the truth, is to take the truth of what Jesus has said, the truth of Scripture, and make it known to you, make it real to you, to help you to understand Scripture and the words of Jesus. Look over in chapter 16, verse 8, what he says there. Chapter 16, verse 8, he said, When he comes, he will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. A part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about a conviction and understanding and opening the eyes of the world of the reality of sin, of the reality of our guilt as a result of our sin. And then looking, jumping down in verse 13, where he says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So here the reality of the spirit of truth is that he takes the, the truth about who God is, the words of Jesus, the words of Scripture, and he brings about an understanding to us. He helps us to understand Scripture. You cannot understand Scripture apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, his work is not just to bring you a head knowledge of the truth, but to rather bring you a heart knowledge of the truth. That's the work of the Spirit. Now, it's possible to know things about the Bible. It's, it's possible to study theology and yet not have a heart understanding of its truth. A part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to make these truths real to the heart. To take the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and bring it home to your heart. To set the truth on fire in your heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had that experience in your life where you've known something, maybe you've known something all of your life, and something happens to where the truth of that all of a sudden hits home in your heart? Where, where the truth of it just seems profound and it, it changes the way that you think and the way that you approach and the way that you live. That's a part of what the Holy Spirit does. It wants to take the truth of Jesus and who he is and all that he's done and bring it home to your heart so that you feel it, so that it changes you, so that it moves you. Think about that place in, at the end of the Gospel of Luke when the disciples after the resurrection are on their way on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus has been crucified and he's been resurrected, but they don't know that yet. And Jesus comes to them and he opens the scriptures to them and he teaches them all that scripture has said about what he was to come and do. And the Holy Spirit is at work in their hearts and they say after that, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? You see, their hearts were on fire as the truth of who Jesus was in the scripture was hitting home for them. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. To bring fire into your heart over the truth 
of who he, got, who he is that is real, revealed in Scripture. But not only that, look again at verse 14, and here's what he says. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Jesus says the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify me. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is to take the truth of who Jesus is and bring it home to you, to glorify Jesus, to point to Jesus. Now, that's an important point because often as we think about the Holy Spirit or even as we heard it teach in the church, oftentimes it can be tempted to think of the Holy Spirit as separate from Jesus, to think, okay, here's the Holy Spirit over here, and here's what he does and what he does. And then here's Jesus over here, and here's what he does. And those are kind of separate things. But what Jesus says is, no, no, no. The work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify me, to point to me, to lift me up. Sometimes as we think of the Holy Spirit, our focus becomes on like miracles or supernatural things that are happening. And oftentimes what happens whenever that becomes our focus with the Holy Spirit is we're just focusing on miracles. We're just focusing on things that he's doing. But what Jesus has wanted to teach us here is that the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify me, to lift up Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit is Christ-centered. His work is to point us to Jesus, not to himself. He's the Spirit of truth. And then finally, another huge reality of what the Holy Spirit does in his work is to bring spiritual union with Christ into our hearts. Look over at chapter 16, verse 8, verse 7 again. Now, this is a profound statement that Jesus makes to his disciples. Verse 7, here's what he says. I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now think about that for a minute. That's a huge statement. Jesus is talking to his disciples who heart, whose hearts are troubled by the fact that Jesus is about to leave them. They're crushed. And Jesus says to them, it is for your good that I'm going away. What do you mean? What could be better than the physical presence of Jesus in your life, physically next to you? I mean, think about the apostles, the disciples here. They had lived with Jesus. They had walked with him. I mean, that's an amazing reality. And yet Jesus says to you, it's better that I go away. What could possibly be better than Jesus physically next to you? This, Jesus inside of you. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Spirit to unite us to Him. And as the Holy Spirit comes into us and fills us, literally Jesus is filling us. Jump back over to chapter 14. Look at down at verse 17 and look at what he says here. The Spirit of truth... The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit, for those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ, are filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. He goes on. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That is a profound statement. Jesus says, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with me. I will be in you. You will see me with the eyes of your heart because you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as he comes to indwell us, brings about a union between us and the Trinity. See what Jesus says here, I and the Father are one. We're one with one another. And yet, when you are united in me by the Holy Spirit, you are one with the Father and with I. Dwell on that reality just for a moment. That if you are here today and you are united to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And by Him, you are united to the Trinity. You are one with God through the filling of Holy Spirit. You know, we often talk about how in salvation it's necessary not just to have a knowledge about who Jesus is and what he's done, but you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We hear that language, and that's entirely right. But how do you do that? How do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because you know all of your other personal relationships. It's people you're with, people that you know, people that you talk to. How can we possibly say that about Jesus? How can I have a personal relationship with someone who is physically at the right hand of the Father in heaven at this moment? How can I have a personal relationship with him? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of Jesus lives within every single believer. If you're a follower of Jesus, he lives in you. And just think about this for a minute. I believe we often think... If I could only see him, if I could only visually see him, if he could be right next to me, if I could audibly hear his voice, then then it would be okay. I'd overcome all these struggles in my life. I would get my act together. I'd be empowered to, you know, live for him and speak for him and be on mission if if he could just be physically here with me. But think about this. How did that work for the disciples? For the three years of Jesus' ministry, they were with him every day. They spent all their time with him. They audibly heard all of his sermons. They saw all of his miracles, everything that he did. And yet the reality about their lives, even at this moment, is that their faith is just as weak as ours is. They're just as flimsy in their commitment to him. I mean, think about what happens whenever Jesus in the next few moments... The coming hours here is arrested. What do they do? They scatter. Peter denies Jesus three times hours after this. Really, they're just like us. The physical presence of Jesus didn't do all that we think that it would do. But something changed for these guys. Something changed for these common. They they weren't super educated. They didn't know a lot. They, They were really cowardly. But yet, here they go in the book of Acts, taking the gospel to the world, bearing witness before kings, suffering, being persecuted, standing up before crowds of people and declaring the gospel of Jesus, taking the gospel and the church to the world. How do they go from this 
to that? What happened in their life? Answer, Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit animated and energized their life where they were able to go forward with great power. It wasn't them, but the work of Holy Spirit in them. You see, that's the key. The key to the Christian life is supernatural union and empowerment through the Holy Spirit in your life. It's very easy to think of the Christian life, to think of Christianity as a set of teachings to follow, right? A lifestyle that I need to live out, things that I need to do in my life, follow the teachings of Jesus. And so often in our life, as we think about the Christian life that way, we see in our life how hard it is to live that out. So, so often in life, you know, we're, we're not living in the way that we think that we know that we should be. We're not following the teachings of Jesus in so many areas of our life. And so, so often we just feel defeated. We hope that maybe I'll do better. You know, maybe in the coming days I'll get better. Maybe I'll get over these struggles in my life. Maybe I'll be more committed to him and I'll pray more and I'll do better. And essentially, we think it's just something that we do. But here's the amazing reality about Christianity. Christianity is not something we do. It's something God does in us. See how the pressure gets off when you see that? You know, the Christianity is not just hard. It's impossible. You can't do it, not because there's something wrong with Christianity, because there's something wrong with us. We're flimsy. We're weak. We're prone to wonder, as we sang earlier. So the incredible hope of the Christian life is that it's not in our power that we do it. That all that we're called to, all that we're called to be, all that we're called to do does not take place in our own strength. But rather in the powerful working of Holy Spirit in our lives. That's good news. So the question I think for us is, why don't we experience this more? Why is it so true of what Francis Chan said at the beginning? Why is it so true... That rather than experiencing this transformation within, this power at work in us, that the Apostle Paul says is the same power that was at work in raising Jesus from the dead, that that power lives in us. Why don't we experience that more? And I think it's because of this. Because we don't think we need it. We don't believe it. No, we believe it here. I mean, we'd all... Most of us would probably get it right on a test, right? You know, if I gave a pop quiz and say, is the Holy Spirit powerful? Is he living in you? Can he do all things? You'd say, yeah, yes, yes, and yes. Done. Ace the test. We believe it here. We don't believe it here. And the reason we don't believe it here is because we don't have to believe it here. So often in this culture of wealth and comfort and safety and affluence, we get blinded to our own need and desperate dependence upon God. We, we tend to get lulled into this idea that I'm in control of my life. I can control my life. Now, a few things happen here and there in our life that show us that's not true at all. But so often we live with this dependence on ourselves. To think I can do it in my own power. It's pride. That's how we tend to live. 
So what do we need for the filling and the empowerment of Holy Spirit? We need desperation. We need desperate dependence upon Him. How do you get that? You got to seek Him. Seek Him in prayer. Seek Him in His Word. You got to repent of pride. You got to surrender the control of your life to Him. You got to learn to trust in Him. But really, at bottom, it's about need. It's about living in light of that fundamental need of His power and work in our life. Let me close with this illustration about Mr. Rogers. Y'all remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? So Mr. Rogers, it was this show on PBS that went on for like 35 years, okay? When I was growing up a little kid, I'd come home from school and I would watch Mr. Rogers. So kids, this was this, this old guy who was kind of just loved kids and he had this show where he'd talk about kids' things and, you know, it was a very popular show. He actually, many people will say Mr. Rogers saved public television. Recently, there was a movie that came out about Mr. Rogers you might not have known this, but Mr. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. That might explain a lot for a lot of you. But Mr. Rogers tells this story in an interview with Christian Century about 15 years ago that just struck me and I think is so profound. So at one point in his life, Mr. Rogers was in seminary. He was learning and studying theology in order to be ordained a minister. And this particular season in his life, he was in his preaching class, they call it homiletics in seminary. So he was learning how and learning and studying how to be a preacher. How do you preach? And so during that season in life, he and his wife and another couple were away on vacation. And they're on vacation and Sunday comes around and they said, hey, let's go find a little church to go worship at. So they find this little church to go worship at and they go in, they sit down and this, this old guy, he's in his 80s, stands up to preach and Mr. Rogers said it was rough. It was bad. It was hard to listen to. And he found himself throughout the sermon, you know, critiquing it. Because he had learned in his class how to critique sermons. And how do you do a sermon the right way. And the whole time he was just focusing on all the stuff that this guy was saying that was not quite right or wasn't delivered right. And then after the service, he turns to the lady that was the couple, their friends, and he's about to remark about how rough the sermon was. And as he turns to talk to her, he notices tears running down her eyes. And he catches himself. And you know what she says to him? He said exactly what I needed to hear. He said, that was a pivotal moment for me. Because what I learned in that moment is that I was judging and she was needing and the Holy Spirit responds to need, not judgment. You see, the more that we feel and experience our desperate need for Holy Spirit, the more that His power and influence is unleashed in our heart to the degree that you can literally hear God speaking to you even in a really bad sermon. We need not to be stronger. In fact, the problem is not that we're weak. The problem is that we're too strong, or at least we think we are. The more weak that we become, the more desperate we may be on Holy Spirit. And 
only he can unleash the power that we need in our lives to change and to live out his mission in the world. So let me stop there and just give us an opportunity to react and respond to one another for a few moments. How does that strike you? How does that move you, maybe convict you? What, what happening in you as you consider this passage in the Holy Spirit? Michael, Kiri right here. Um, I think one thing uh, that really struck me is uh, when you were talking about how, like, God is continually in community with himself. Mm-hmm. And then through Holy Spirit, we're brought into that community. Yeah. And I just remember, I've, I think I've heard the Trinity, the relationship of the Trinity kind of described as a dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it just, like, just like the image kind of popped into my mind I I really love ballet and it's really complex and it's really beautiful um and just this image of like a group of ballerinas doing their dance mm-hmm. in like complete unity and synchronization and they all depend on each other yeah and suddenly one of them just like running out into the audience and grabbing me huh. and like pulling me onto the stage and suddenly I'm there and I'm dancing yeah. And I don't know how I'm doing it. Uh-huh. I don't know why I'm there. But there's just this, like, being drawn into the very dance of God. Yes. And, like, the unity of that and, like, something so beyond. Mm. Like, I didn't go to school for that. I didn't yeah. study for years. I'm just yeah. drawn into this um, perfect unity of the dance. Like you're a world-class dancer. Yeah. yeah. In that moment. Exactly. And through so, being in union with him. Yeah. So I think that just, like... Just that analogy um, and just like the reality of being drawn into the actual um, being of God yeah. is, is really moving yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. You see that beautifully described there. That is true of everyone here that's in union with Christ right now. So why are we not experiencing that? Why are we not pondering that? You know, because that's, that's how it gets real as, as we ponder it and Holy Spirit brings the truth of it to life for us. It just changes you. I think oftentimes we're just too busy to even ponder, to meditate on the things that Scripture says are true of us now. Or it's, I think a lot of it too is... Uh, the way America has made made it to be our best life now uh-huh. deal to where we're actually seeking the things that we want. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we think that the, the Holy Spirit is, oh, my, I, why are things going bad? Why is all yeah. this going on? You know, you know, and there, you know, we're supposed to have this comfortable life and yeah. not, you know, because when the Holy Spirit does, when Holy Spirit does come and or when you have rough times in your life is not bad. That's right. It's how we we view it bad, but yeah. it's a good thing that's happened in your life. And I think that for me, it's a lot of that for me too yeah. is is battling, you know, those streams and and here in America because when you talk to people too, it's like why I was talking to it's like three or four things happened this past week. Why are all these bad things happening? You know, 
I'd say, well, who's to say they're bad? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we imagine that the way that God would work in our lives is the way that we would work in our lives, which is just not at all true. Oftentimes, he brings that life, that growth through pain. Part of the reason of that is that it strips away our pride and self-reliance, which is the greatest barrier to his work in our life. Let me go ahead and call the worship team up, and we can still keep talking about this. Let me pray for us as we close. Holy Spirit, we just, I want to just repent and confess that so often I tend to live as if this life is about me and is lived in my strength and I have the arrogance to think that I can 